listening to Hawks Insiders, home of quality analysis, special features, match recaps, interviews, and so much more. Follow us on Substack for extended coverage of all things brown and gold. Good evening, everyone. Action Brown here. Welcome to the collective group hug. And don't we need it tonight? That it's a Hawthorne, Hawks Insiders, Thursday night safe space. We are here for the next hour. And let me tell you, when I'm running the show, it will be an hour. Sorry, apologies to Prinzi, uh, who's done a fantastic job hosting in my absence. Uh, we're going to talk all things Hawthorne. There's a bit happening, a bit going on for the next little while. We're going to look back at the game against Melbourne. We're going to look ahead to the uh, game on Sunday in Tasmania against West Coast. Lots of news during the week as well. Um, and I'm joined by a couple of co-hosts. We're down a few soldiers tonight, so uh, we'll get that in one sec. But uh, Andrew Weiss, you're in the pilot seat tonight. Good evening. Good evening, Ash. Good evening, everyone. And uh, yeah, slow slow news week, hey? Uh, glad you're back in the driver's seat tonight because you, Ash, are... Probably one of the most level-headed Hawks supporters, and uh, I feel like tonight you are the right person to be steering the ship. Oh, thank you. Flattery will get you everywhere. Uh, and hello, Brad Klebanski. Evening, all. Good to be here. Uh, speaking of level-headed, you are not, but your input tonight is always welcome, and tonight, Brad, will be very necessary. As I said, we have no uh, Danny Prince, we have no Darren Levine, Simon Morowitz may join us in progress, which means this needs to be as interactive as possible. So we welcome all comments, all requests to speak will be uh, attended to. Uh, we really want to hear from everyone tonight. A lot to get through. It's an emotional stuff. We're probably going to talk a bit about Clarko tonight. We've sort of budgeted and hedged around this a little bit the last few weeks, but I think tonight, tonight. So a bit about the group, as I said before, a group hug, almost a group therapy, just to work through our feelings about the uh, events of that broke the today. Sad news for Clarko. And I'll get at the outset, I'll say our thoughts are obviously with him and his family going through a very torrid time, uh, probably a very unfair time as well. We'll get to that in a bit. Uh, but we'll go, we'll start where we always do. Firstly, with the footy, it is look back at last week. Hawthorne, uh, 7-7-49, defeated by Melbourne, 15-13-103 at the MCG in front of approximately 39 Thousand people, uh, an atrocious first half, Brad, that I think you said was worse than the Geelong game. Slightly redeemed after halftime, a very sort of a, an impressive third quarter that at least showed there is a bit of spirit, if nothing else, in the playing group and and a refusal to just uh, accept that being a, a terribly bad day at the footy. So there was a little bit to talk about through the second half. As I look at uh, the well-prepared running sheet, I believe that uh, we see you're down for the good, so take it away. Yeah, no worries. Well, I, clearly that the third quarter is worth highlighting as one of the good things. We, we went through that long stretch through the first part of, well, where we're up to already this year of having shocking third quarter performances and... Um, it was good to see them show a little bit of fight after the long break. Um, Seamus Mitchell's best game for the club. He had 27 touches, eight marks, nine rebounds from uh, defensive 50 and seven intercept possessions. Clearly his best game. I think the the he was voted through the um, official website as the MVP for the week. So that was pretty good reward for his best game. Um, Will Day in the middle, 29 touches, 14 contested possessions, which was the most for any player, um, any Hawks player on the day. So another great feather in his cap from a midfield point of view. Um, Lloyd Meek rucking mainly solo for most of the day. Um, Fair task is 22nd game maybe against uh, Brody Grundy and Max Gorn but did a pretty decent job of it so and and his best game for the club so that was a positive um, and then I guess the only other there we had semi-decent games from the rest of the midfield contingent who tried hard 
Connor Nash, um, Warps, Jai Newcomb. And I actually thought Sis um, tried pretty hard as well. So Sisley got three coaches. Uh, yeah. And uh, I mean, uh, I think actually his performance um, has split fans, certainly looking across socials. Um, and it's, I, I it's think. It's split up that on that, our recap pod, I think. It, it did. And I think there's a negative, um, I think because he has clearly been down this season and he's had a couple of really bad games when we've needed it, you know, needed his leadership and captaincy recently, that probably adds to the narrative, you know, coming into a performance that's not that not necessarily of the standard that he was putting out last year uh, every single week. So... Um, but I was in the he did pretty well camp, so I was happy enough with his game. I've got a concern about Sis that he's going to go through his career without getting the All Australian laser that he probably deserves. Sometimes there's a bit of lag effect with the All Australian, but you know, they don't get it. The following year, they don't play quite as well, they do get it because the uh, selectors feel a bit bad, bad realise they might have made an error uh, the first time around. But Sis is not quite playing at the level. He was robbed of it the year they broke his wrist. He was on track for all Australian that year. Um, but what he was at ninety eight or ninety nine or eighteen or 19, 19. He was on track for all Australian. He'd risked probably one or two weeks too early into the season to to make the final cut. And last year he was absolutely robbed. So uh, I think he's going. Yeah, and we say you say he's unlucky not to be all Australian. He's very unlucky not to be a dual all Australian. But I agree. I reckon he's every chance to finish up uh, not getting it through his career. Yeah, last year, and given the way the team's going, they just won't look at Hawthorne players this year. Will Day, and we might, this might be a discussion for around the bye period, uh, Will Day's probably, you know, his goal of making the squad, he's probably on track, but I can't imagine too many other Hawthorne people are going to feature in the All-Australian squad. Brad, uh, your specialty, you're, uh, you're, you're in the back shorts of this one, the bad. Try and keep it to 55 minutes. I'll keep it short. Another score under 50 points, second in a row. It's the fourth time this season we've kicked under 50 points. Mitch Lewis has now been back for three games. I know it's going to take him a bit of time to come back, but two of those three we've kicked under 50 points. Very disappointing. I don't know what the answer is because I know, Ash, you're quite bullish on 2024. But this is something I think we need to touch on probably in about you know six to eight weeks' time when we're probably going to kick under 50 points again over the next couple of weeks, is heading into 2024, how does our forward line actually get better next I'm season? I'm not quite as bullish on 2024 as I was at the start of the season, but I'm happy to do a, I'm happy to do a bit of a mere culprit at this stage. I don't <laughs> think the Hawthorne will play finals next year. Yes. Good, very good call, Ash. But, yeah, we'll go on. Um, Chad Wingard, disaster again. Eight possessions, no tackles. No scoring shots. I know he's out this week uh, with a calf, but he played the whole game last week. I think his Hawthorne career, unfortunately, for us and Chad, is um, coming to an end very quickly. Um, the forward line, yeah, just isn't functioning too well. Uh, the first half was down 54 to 9 before we actually pulled our fingers out and, you know, decided to come to play in the third quarter. Could have easily have been down by 50 points at quarter time. Had Melbourne kicked straight. I know uh, Weezy mentioned the third quarter was good. Yes, we won the third quarter. Can I just pull you up for one sec, Brad? There was, I had read an interesting theory on a message board. Someone's probably HHQ, but uh, from somewhere saying, the funny sort of game, Melbourne kicked those five points early. But given Hawthorne were doing okay, if you look at the stats, Hawthorne did okay in, did okay in clearances, center clearances. Hawthorne being unlucky with all those points being kicked by Melbourne. Had Melbourne kicked a goal, and the ball gone back to the middle. Who knows what would have happened after that? Potentially, but if you look at our stats for the majority of the season, our clearance work's actually been pretty good. The issue is our forward line's an absolute disaster that once the ball goes in there, it comes it's out of pulse yeah, that's true. twice as fast. So um, we've seen this season that our midfielders have actually been pretty good. Um, I might have been a tad harsh in my uh, selection dissection uh, article uh, this week. I thought our midfield was quite poor. Um, Viney, Oliver and Petrarca, pretty sure, correct me if I'm wrong, voted 
as the three best players on the ground. I think Petrarca got the 10 coaches' votes. But certainly, um, that was certainly top, the top three position getters on the ground. Yeah, and probably the three best midfielders on the ground. I know our midfielders' numbers look pretty good. Um, but, yeah, James Blank came in. He deserved, you know, he uh, got another crack and uh, copped a shocking cork in, was subbed out uh, early on. Um, yeah, so overall, it's just not going our uh, way at the moment. I, I said last Thursday night, if we got within uh, eight goals, it'd be a pretty good effort. So I think what do we lose by then was a 59, just under 10, 10 goals, which was probably a fair uh, result. As you mentioned, that we won the third quarter was a positive because that easily could have been a hundred and you know hundred plus point loss. So um, the good news is this week we will win because if we don't, <laughs> I know we're going to touch on it. But if we lose to West Coast down in Tassie with the team they have on paper, and we're just about at full strength, uh, I know this year's not all about the wins and the losses. But we lose this game on Sunday, and. I'd be surprised if we won more than one more game for the rest of the year. If we lose this week, surely Brad runs spaces as the host and it's just a 60-minute the bad on I, Thursday night next I will week. Not, oh, yeah. You, you won't want to hear uh, what I have to say if uh, we lose to West Coast on Sunday. There is, like, zero excuses for okay, Sunday. Okay, we'll get to that game in a little while. So... Um, that's putting a bow on the on-field stuff from that game. We talked about with something we haven't done for a while is match day experience, which is always my little specialty. Um, and I thought, I don't know what you got, you were there, we see, I think the uh, I think it was the first time I've been to Hawthorne Melbourne games, certainly when Hawthorne's the home team, where there are clearly more Melbourne supporters there than Hawthorne supporters. Yeah, no doubt. I, I think that's a pretty fair reflection, though, of where teams are at, uh, both teams are at, but having said that, I mean, what was there from memory? It was like 39,800, yeah. so just shy of 40,000, which, um, yeah, I mean, you'd like to think with our membership base, especially from a home game point of view, that you'd be able to get 40,000. It's a good slot. It's a decent enough slot. There's no real excuses in terms of families, other games. Um, we were back at the MCG. Ash, you obviously wrote the article talking about Which is actually what I want MCG to get to games. So if you bear with me for a sec, I just want to talk. We had a, I had some good comments on the piece I wrote. One was from Michelle Jordan. I'm going to sort of summarise it a little bit. But she's a Kennedy Club member who loves the MCG. Only sits in her seat once a year now. Many of the original members around me have moved on or don't go to games anymore. Not the same feel. She puts it down to continuity. Not just in Marvel. She won't go there. Um, I want to sit with the usual crowd in the usual seat if I'm forking out $625. If the Hawks don't get MCG home games once we vacate Tassie, I'll seriously reconsider my membership. She wants continuity of games. I think a few people think like that. Um, she said, SM can keep Marvel. Shouldn't be prioritised over the Hawks. Hawthorne needs a new major sponsor. And that major sponsor will be looking for large membership base we'll want to see large crowds and high ratings on mainstream TV. We are miles away from ticking those boxes right now. Hawthorne needs to do everything they can to ensure 11 home games, which is a step towards return of supporters. But the team needs to start winning to justify that to get back to the MCG and mainstream TV. Um, how many times has Colin Richard or Geelong crowd assist the teams in creating energy and winning close games? I think she makes a whole lot of really valid points there um, about the MCG experience. For Hawthorne, I just thought it was flat. I know we had it was the emergency services game, but I sort of didn't feel that really excited vibe that I was in amongst the Hawthorne faithful. What did you think, Boise? Yeah, I, I feel like actually the, even the, the emergency services stuff in the, the couple of days in the lead up, it started getting pumped up and then they tried to get more people by offering kids in for free and... Um, I don't. I actually don't think the entertainment and, and all of them doing the lap of honour. And I think Millsy was singing at half time. And in terms of what they were attempting to do, I don't think it was that bad. But I think, as you sort of pointed out, the atmosphere was a little bit flat. And maybe it would have been different if there were another twenty thousand people, or if there were higher expectations from an interest point of view in the game itself. 
I don't think anyone really came expecting to see anything other than a a Hawthorne belching. So I think it's all um, combined. Um, yeah. So, so I, that, that... what we might do is we might stick to the fixture drop. We've got a lot to talk about, um, but we might, we, the fixture drop is one of our items. It almost relates. So I think we'll just knock that over with and then we'll get back to some of the other news going around. So the AFL released the fixtures around 16 to 23. Most of you have probably seen it, but I'll quickly run through it. So Carlton will be 110 on a Sunday, July 2nd. Then it's the Giants at 4.35 on a Saturday up at Homebush. North Melbourne, the second game around is that 110 Sunday game at Marvel. Good luck getting any Hawthorne supporters to go to that one. Richmond on Saturday, July 22nd at the MCG as the away game, but I think it's a replacement game, so there should be a few Hawthorne supporters. There are no complaints about Saturday afternoon footy. St Kilda, 110 on a Sunday, the dreaded home game against St Kilda at Marvel, which, again, I think uh, will be a paucity of Hawthorne supporters to go to that one. Collingwood, 4.35 on a Saturday afternoon on 5th of August. That'll be interesting. Collingwood going so well. Their supporters are going to all their games, so that might be the game that uh, Hawthorne cracks a big crowd at, even for that time slot. So you'd think that might get 50,000 to that one if the weather's good or is dodgy, I suppose, in early August. Dogs in Tassie, one ten on a uh, Sunday afternoon. Yeah, good luck getting people to watch that one. Melbourne on a Sunday at 3.20, round, 20, uh, uh, round 23, that is. Actually, on Channel 7, believe it or not, Brad, they actually get one more game on free-to-air TV. One game. One game. So there'll be a total of four games for the year on free-to-air TV. That's expected with how we played the last couple of years. So you know, I don't think we really deserve to be on, you know, in those primetime slots. And I've seen we've got a lot of Sundays coming up. So it's going to be very interesting to see the crowds we get, you know, obviously heading into the cold stretch of games, you know, for the next three uh, months or so. So I think I mentioned in the next, I think it's eight weeks, if you look at our fixture, we go uh, Mel- uh, interstate Melbourne, interstate uh, Melbourne. So the fixture this season, and I think we spoke about it when it was uh, released, we saw it on paper and it looked like a disaster pre-season and it's looking even worse uh, it's now. A, it's so, a very lopsided fixture. The seven of the last, the big sell out of the club today, which we sort of knew was Seven out of the last nine in Victoria. So they're more or less getting interstate games in the first sort of half to two-thirds of the season. Not surprising there's no Friday night or Thursday night footy for Hawthorne. If you're a Channel 7, you'd be telling the AFL to get stuffed if they offered you a Hawthorne game for the time being. Weezy, you want to make a point? I just reckon, so that's all true. And obviously, it's a product of where we're at at the moment. If I'm the club, the opportunity that I'm looking at is... No night games, no midweek fixtures. They're the fixtures where people are always complaining the next day about it not being family friendly. So I think that, especially with everything else that's going on at the moment, the ability to, and I know, Ash, you've talked about putting the family club moniker away for a while, the ability to go, this is an opportunity to get to the footy as a family the time slots are actually perfect for that, right? So so that's the potential opportunity. Although if we keep playing rubbish football, uh, it makes it more difficult to draw families to get to go as well. Uh, a couple of comments from Patrick. On the one hand, they are both so bad, it makes sense. It's sort of surprised Hawthorne versus Clarko back in Victoria didn't get a Channel 7 slot. Yeah, I think there's only so many times you would, you would pan on Clarko in the coach's box. Uh, before commenting. Um, so, yeah, it's just what, it's just what it is. They're not a marquee draw at the moment, Hawthorne. Uh, only the diehards will be going to the games. Uh, round 24 against Fremantle, obviously, is a fighting fixture still, but given where that's shaping up, I'm not sure either team will be uh, figuring the finals. So we'll see where that goes. What do you see any last thoughts? Yeah, I reckon Frio, Frio's last couple of weeks have been good and it could be important for them So, in terms of making the finals. So there's a there's a chance I reckon that wouldn't necessarily be pushed to that late Sunday slot because of um, that as a possibility. But it is what it is. Uh, hopefully in a few years' time we've got X number of Thursday night, Friday night, Saturday night games because that's obviously the reflection of how well you're performing as a club. And just one of the points Michelle made in that note, and then we'll move on. Um, 
she's right. The, the Tasmania sponsorship comes to an end at about the time Hawthorne should be on the cusp of, of making finals and should be an attractive team once again. So I don't think they worry about it for the next year or two. But they're obviously hoping that the timing of getting a new major sponsor coincides with Hawthorne being back in finals contention and therefore playing more prime time games. Okay. Um, I think we will now turn to the big story, which is, and we'll give it a bit of time, um, is the Alistair Clarkson story, and then we'll sort of go a look ahead uh, to the week as it's coming up, um, to the weekend. So everyone's seen the story drop this morning. Uh, Alistair Clarkson has taken a leave of absence from North Melbourne uh, to deal with his uh, mental health. He's had, his, uh, he's had all sorts of um, difficulties, I guess, dealing with everything that's been going on lately. Largely understandable. Sam Edmund tonight broke the story on SEN that uh, he was so uh, aggravated at the football last Saturday by North second quarter that he had a, what a, a tirade at halftime and allegedly threw a chair into a wall. Um, so clearly the events of uh, getting to Clarko, um, it is a Hawthorne story as much as just a North Melbourne story in a lot of ways. It's the culmination of eight months of understandable frustration at this whole story and the rather incredible uh, realisation, Brad, that neither Clarko nor Chris Fagan nor Jason Burt has had an opportunity to give their version of events yet, which I find quite incredible and a very poor reflection on whoever it is is running this whole, uh, is, is running this whole situation. Absolutely. The whole thing from day one has been an absolute shambles and, and a disgrace. Uh, our thoughts definitely go out to Clarko and, and his family. He's obviously going through a really, really tough uh, time at the moment. But like you said, Ash, um, long time. It's been uh, eight months since the story broke. And you can see why Clarko now, in hindsight, why he made the comments he did last week. Um, why Chris Fagan has said what he said uh, all along. Um, I don't know where the end is. Um, I think you've uh, mentioned, Ash, um, that you believe this is still going to drag on for a long time. Uh, the lawyers are probably the only uh, winners in this whole uh, situation because, unfortunately, for everyone involved, this is probably going to reach uh, the courts. Um, I've got no doubt Clarko in particular, probably Fagan as well. Um, will be uh, getting their lawyers heavily involved in the coming uh, months. So, unfortunately for everyone involved, not sure if uh, anyone heard uh, Geordie uh, Lewis on 360 tonight. Didn't have too many good things to say about uh, the Hawthorne Footy Club. His quote, not mine, that there are still people at the club with blood on their hands, which is a very strong comment that'll probably be picked up. I have got no doubt that'll be in the papers uh, tomorrow. Um, he said people that have left the club, but there are still people there currently. Uh, he said he still loves the footy club, but he said there are still people at the club uh, who, yeah, he's not very uh, happy with at the moment. I know people have come out to say he, he's a disgruntled former player because of the way he left, but um, I know Jordan, and, uh, yeah, I, I listen to what he has to say, so... It's going to be an interesting couple of days, but a very sad day today for the game. And I'm not sure where it leaves our club. I know Damo and a few and others have had comments this season that have rolled up our supporters. But when it all comes down to it, our club, unfortunately, someone's going to have to take the fall. The AFL are going to hand out whatever the penalty is, whether it's financial. Hopefully, it's only financial. But our club unfortunately, is going to be the club that's going to cop it the most. So I think we need to brace ourselves for whatever comes in the coming uh, months. I hope it's not the draft picks that Damo's been pushing on about and a few at others. I don't think it will be. But you never know with the way that AFL is and operates. We just have to prepare for all, uh, you know, for whatever comes our way. As we said, this is an opportunity for everyone. We've we skirted this issue for for a little while, but we're happy to spend the next 15 or so minutes having a bit of a deep dive about it. Do you have anything you want to say about anything that's gone on? Obviously, understanding that the uh, laws of uh, defamation and libel uh, come into play here, so just be a little bit careful what you have to say. 
But if you've got a view that you'd like to express, we're really keen to hear from you. Um, we see Jake Nile, uh, Chief Whitney Rider for the Age, who's covered this story quite extensively. He had a different point of view this evening on, uh, he did across the Channel 9 News. He seems to think that um, the fact that there's a mediation plan for Adelaide next week could speed things up. Now, Clarko's not going to be there, but that's not to say that his representatives won't be there. So possibly there could be some, if, if this mediation session does take place next week and the reporting this evening is that Gillian McLaughlin uh, is very key, it's, it, with not a, lot, not a lot else to do now, Gil, um, Gillian McLaughlin has been working feverishly to make sure that the mediation doesn't fall off the rails as a result of what's happened today. There's a, the alternate school of thought to say that uh, things could actually move quite quickly if the mediation takes place next week in Adelaide, as reported, and uh, most of the parties get most of what they want to get out of it. Yeah, I think the big problem with this is unless unless you're privy to that information, we, we actually don't know the full extent of what is right, what isn't, what is going on. So, uh, I mean, in the last few weeks, some of the key points as to why this has stalled has been around um, players not wanting to give full transcripts of their comments to the three specific guys you've mentioned accused. So them refusing to be interviewed without having access to the full range of allegations. Stall. I think one of the other key things we heard the, was it eight or nine points that everyone had to agree to to go to mediation? 18. 18. Yeah, but then was it the chair of, of... um, the, the chair in his comments came out and said, actually, that the 18 points that had been reported in the media, that's not actually true, that all of them had to be met before mediation was able to commence. So um, it's hard to see how Clarkson would be there next week, given he stepped away from the club. And, I mean, today has been very much about um, feeling sorry for the three guys that we're talking about, in particular Clarko. But again, a reminder that all of these allegations have been made and not lightly. So for eight months, you know, they've been those making the allegations seeking answers that they haven't been able to. And obviously we've got issues at our club, but the other, the other element I think worth considering is... We know what I think of North Melbourne and how I love laying the boots into North Melbourne. Like, North have done what they think is the best possible thing in getting the greatest coach of the modern era into their club. And you look at their recent track history with coaches and this just goes onto that resume of being an absolute disaster for them. So they're... Huge losers out of this. Yeah, but everyone loses. Everyone loses. But I mean, this is it's very unfortunate for North. But uh, I'm not sure we want to go down the path of going too far into what it means for other, other clubs. But certainly North, it's been disappointing for them. We've got some people who have a, a say, so we'll start with you, Stuart. Good evening. Uh, good evening, Ash. Uh, good evening, all. Um, I actually uh, spoke last week with Danny and and the guys. Uh, when, when it came out about um, Clark Owen and him lashing the um, uh, the club, and so I had a little empathy because he couldn't do anything, and I don't think I could, I would be able to handle what he's going through. Clearly, he can't uh, now either. I still feel incredibly sorry for him, not for uh, not for anything, but he just he's stuck between a rock and a hard place. There's no, nothing he can do. Uh, and it's finally tipped over this week. Um, and I, I just, uh, I think whilst we, uh, whilst we need, need to keep considering that there are um, allegations uh, involved here, um, until, until the parties that have been, those, those uh, allegations that have been made against can actually answer them, um, everyone is just just stuck. It's just a horrible, horrible situation. And 
I'm I'm hoping there there was a lot, uh, quite a few people that were sort of in this. Well, uh, well if you're going to have a go at us, um, Fargo stuff, you mentality last week. I hope people are sort of starting to understand uh, that it's uh, uh, it's it's not a fun thing for him. No, he's going through health at the moment, and uh, well made points. Thanks for that, Mick. Good evening. Hi guys. Um, the thing that's frustrated me most about this process is, or the way it's been played out, is it's a workplace investigation. It's not a footy issue. And as a workplace, Hawthorne were in a really bad situation because no, the complainants were no longer employees and neither were the alleged perpetrators. So there was no way Hawthorne could approach, for example, Fagan being employed by Brisbane to get his side of the story. It would have upset Brisbane no end, similarly with Clarkson. Um, and I think people have got to get their mind around the fact that it's a workplace occupational health and safety issue more than a football issue. Yeah, and I think the point, that, um, that's a good point, Nick. The industry criticism of Hawthorne is largely that they should have had lawyers involved from the start rather than just give it, I mean, they, they, even Damo says they were well-intentioned by what, by going down the sort of the truth-seeking storytelling path, but there should have been a lawyer involved from the start. So that's the criticism of the industry. I'm not saying I necessarily agree. That is a, a criticism that the industry has of Hawthorne. Now, the other thing is that um, is the timing. The reason there's such frustration is because there was this absolute fanciful belief from Gil McLaughlin, the world's greatest dealmaker, that he could have this wrapped up by Christmas last year. So that's the time frame. Everyone thinks anything is, if it, once it blew out past Christmas, people start to get frustrated. Why is this taking so long? We, I would, you know, I was, happened to be talking, as this blew, blew up late last year, I happened to be talking to A, someone who's a federal court judge, and B, someone who's a king's counsel. And they just basically laughed at me when I said, oh, what about this being wrapped up by Christmas? They said, you're kidding yourself. This will drag on and on and on. And I think we've all been prisoners to this ridiculous time frame that the AFL put into place. Oh, yeah. Yeah, you know, it's an area that I've got some experience in in a different different um, sector, different employment sector. Yeah, you know, to to actually get the information from the victims of the alleged actions um, and the sensitivity of that would be a time-consuming process in itself. And you know, if they're interstate, for example, you know, then you've got to you know how are you going to do that? Then actually get you know what set of allegations are you going to put to to for response, you know, um, if you look at say in an industry-based you know sector where you've got professional standards, say medicine, teaching, those with it, you know, some of those investigations go two, three years. Correct, correct. You know, and it's and it is a nightmare for the people involved on all sides. Yeah. Um, I, and yeah. in what just just one more point, actually, if I can, in terms of you know, if the allegations were then at the time. The, uh, the question of overview, you know, the club sent out a survey on the well-being of Indigenous players and staff, you know, so the expectation was that they would not have got something back as significant as what they did. Now, that still has to be tested. So to set up a lawyer's to oversight it, you can't oversight what you don't know. Correct. Um, I'm also mm. critical of the, I mean, Russell Jackson's a mate, a mate of mine and, you know, well mm. played to him who's reporting, but... I, as an editor, wearing my editor's hat, I would run the story. I, I, and, I, and I don't mm. think 36 hours is an acceptable time frame for Fagan, Clarkson and Burt to respond to pretty explosive allegations. You sit on the story until you've got their, until they've got a proper right of reply. Um, and mm. even people like Caroline Wilson said, that, you know, the age wouldn't have run the story under those circumstances. Mm. I think it was a fairly cavalier approach by the ABC to get the story up. And I think that... Uh, that's also been a huge part of the problem as well. The story got out. And subsequent to that, you know, others are then trying to get into the race, you know, how are we going to break it or how are we going to progress it? You know, this furphy about um, being able to access the other side's arguments or evidence, in a workplace investigation, you have no right to that. I've tagged you to a Josh Bornstein tweet, uh, tweet on that matter. You know, it just doesn't, you don't have that right. People watch SVU and you know, other crime shows thinking that's the way it applies. It does not apply that way in a workplace investigation. It is about the employer make, maintaining or looking into what they can provide for their staff, a safe workplace. Yeah. Nick, your contribution, as always, has been wonderful, whether it be 
hamstrings at training or uh, <laughs> serious workplace stuff with this uh, with investigation. So thanks, thanks always for joining us. Next time we get you on, I'll be to talk about footy. Wonderful, thank you. Good. Thanks, mate. Michael, good evening. Oh hi. Look, one of the things I just don't understand in all of this is if the Hawthorne Football Club's going to get penalised in all of this, what are we going to get penalised for? I mean, we conducted a uh, an investigation in, I don't know, good faith or, or whatever the term is, and it, the findings came back not as expected. What actually are we getting penalised yeah, for? Yeah, that's what I think. That's why I think Gil McLaughlin's quote to Damien Barrett that uh, Damo, to his credit, has chosen to ignore was the most likely outcome will be learnings. And Hawthorne, in terms of sanctions, may well dodge a bullet or may get a some sort of financial sanction. But the only way you can have a really serious, the only way you can have, the only way you can, you know, the sanction that we're all fearing, which is forget the, you know, four of us find a million dollars. None of us on this space, as I guarantee, would would try our shoulders and say, "Well, that's a bit sad." But if they came out and took away the draft picks, we'd all be outraged. We'd, we'd be marching with pitchforks at AFL House to protest. The only way I would read it that Hawthorne can be penalised, uh, other than financial, is if they can prove, if, if it is proved that the that uh, Clarkson, Fagan and Burt uh, acted with racist intent. Now, there's, I, I cannot foresee any way, shape or form how that can be proven. And then if Hawthorne is to be penalised in that way, then those three people will never work in football again because it, it can't just be the club that uh, cops any sort of sanction like that. It has to be individuals who did it as well. So I don't think that's going to be the case. Um, we have to let it all play out. Can, can I ask, Ash, if... There is the possibility of sanctions and whatever that looks like, as you say, like you would just be guessing until we actually understand what's happened. Uh, you look at everything that happened at Collingwood and how we moved on from that. Surely, based on the fact that all of this has come from uh, a commission investigation yeah. where we wouldn't have known about it anyway, yeah. surely if the AFL is going to sanction us over it, then investigations need to be done into the history of this sort of stuff at every other club Correct. to make sure Correct. that if we're yeah. ready to move on, that everything's identified as who's done what, yeah. what needs to happen as an industry-wide cultural review before you can pick and choose who you sanction. And Adelaide in the same boat as well over the... Um... Over the, uh, the 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 camp Walker. Well, it was Walker and the camp. The camp, the, the camp's actually more. Of, Walker was sanctioned. He was he, he was suspended. But the Adelaide camp is is also very relevant here, and there were no sanctions directed towards Adelaide for that. Other other than industry embarrassment, and that's what Hawthorne's wearing at the moment. Um, so there's no real precedent for this to happen. As I put on Twitter recently, if it was a foot, if they were trying to cheat on the field or salary cap cheat throw the book at them and absolutely penalise the draft picks. But I don't think poor process, and that might be what... There's, I think there has been some poor process as part of this. I don't think poor process is, is, results in massive sanctions. I could be wrong, and I'm not a lawyer, and, I haven't, and I'm only following this on the outside like everybody else. I've not been privy to one bit of uh, inside information. Um, Matt, so you've been very patient. Um, uh, good to talk to you. Matt? Hello. Um, yeah, just wanted to start by saying it's just a horrible situation um, and the way it's affected like those in Indigenous um, players who were um, possibly treated badly by the club and even if one-tenth of what happened is true, it's a horrible situation and, I mean, the way it's affected Clarkson and... Um, the others that were accused, it's just horrible. Um, but I wanted to say that, really, Phil Egan and ABC, who leaked the findings, um, they've gotten away scot-free. Nobody seems to be talking about them at all. We don't know. We um, don't know for sure that Phil Egan leaked it. We don't know. It, it could be. My my reading of it is that uh, I'm not, not necessarily sure that it was, it was leaked as much as the ABC was doing some independent reporting. Uh, it might have started with looking at you know, what's going on with Cyril Rioli. 
that might be the, the, the backdrop. This might have been looking at why Surioli was strange from the football club and Russell stumbled across the story. So that might be. So I'm, you know, I'm not prepared to say for 100 percent sure that uh, that Phil leaked it. We go on. Yep. Um, but yeah, I don't know whether Clarkson should be more angry at, at ABC and those that leaked things rather than the Hawthorne Football Club who who I mean, yeah. made the investigation I, I, I he... and then sent it straight to the AFL to be further investigated. Um, yeah, the only, the only so I think... Criticism of Hawthorne, once Hawthorne handed over to the AFL and basically said, We're, you know, this is too big for us, as the AFL rules dictate, we've handed it to the AFL integrity department. Perhaps the criticism that Clarkson has of Hawthorne is apparently Hawthorne, so like 37,000 documents that Hawthorne had to provide to the inquiry and maybe the, the perception, maybe Clarko believes that Hawthorne would drag in their feet in providing those documents to the inquiry and that's what courts would be dragging out for as long as it was. But again, I'm just trying to, I'm just speculating here. Um, I thought I, his, his attack on Hawthorne last week wasn't warranted. He's very entitled to be angry at the football club in general. I thought last week's was uh, was unwarranted, but he's a man under enormous strain, enormous pressure, and as I said at the start of the uh, spaces, feel desperately sorry for him. Ash uh, Mora is our stats guru. Oh, I have to ask: thirty-seven thousand documents. It's a lot of documents, isn't it? From a stats perspective, it's one more than thirty-six thousand nine hundred ninety-nine. <laughs> it's uh... <laughs> that, that is a lot. And 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 if any, like like you said, Ash, if anyone thinks this was going to get wrapped up in six weeks, um, it's going to take them more than that just to read the first half of that. Exactly. It's going to take a hell of a long time, but that's why the mediation, this might be Gil McLaughlin's last great piece of work for the AFL is to somehow expedite this, get all the parties into a room in Adelaide next week and come up with some sort of process. As I said, uh, I trust Jake Niles reporting on this. And if he has a, a belief that it's actually... Today's events could be the circuit breaker. Today's, the other way of looking at today's thing was that people have looked at everybody involved in this, the... AFL, Hawthorne, the three figures who the allegation we made against um, the inquiry itself looked at the events of today and said, this is not on, this is ridiculous, this is dragging on far too long, we're just going to pull our fingers out and get this thing sorted as quickly as possible because a very fine person has just been broken down by this. And this is not the, this is not the, this is not intended consequence of this inquiry for Alistair Clarkson to be in the position he's in now. So maybe... Maybe this is a bit, a bit of reality check for people who are trying to make this happen. I think uh, we we might move on there from that. I think we've given it a pretty good, uh, pretty good run around. We're starting to go in circles a, a little bit, but we thank everybody for those, uh, for those, uh, for your input in the comments. As I said, we wanted this to be a wide-ranging conversation as possible. We've tried not to give it too much oxygen this year and six of the footy, but I think this was the night in which to do something. Um, Let's look now at um, the, the next uh, little while. So we want to look at uh, briefly, where is Chad Wingard at? Uh, Brad, you re- reeled out his stats before from the game. He's got a calf injury. You can't see because there's audio under. You can't see by uh, fingers doing the inverted commas. A calf injury. Uh, I did see him pull off a bit short towards the end of the game last week, so I'm not totally surprised that he is injured. Um Basically, and Maury, given that you're, you're here, I'm keen to get your views on this as well, it's become pretty clear that uh, the Hawthorne forward line with both Wingard and Bruce in it, uh, as good as they both can be purely with ball in hand, they have defensive liabilities these days. It can be hard and hard to justify a forward line with both of those players in it. Uh, yes, um, especially given the mentality we've taken into the season. Um and the thing about Chad is it's not really a great situation either way. Either he does have a calf injury, in which case, as Brad might say, it's another calf injury, um, in which case you'd be super concerned that he's ever going to play 16, 17, 18 games a season again. Or it's not, and they're, you know it's inverted commas, calf injury, and he's actually just dropped, which isn't great either. So you'd have to wonder about his future at the club in general, 
um, especially since Bruce is staying. Um, we're not, we're not get, we don't really want to get rid of him. He doesn't want to go, so he's staying. Um, we might be able to get something for Chad. Then, yeah, um, I, I agree. It kind of doesn't work with both of them. Yeah, well, Butler's inside this week. Brockman's back. We think I think Brockman's on the extended bench, where I imagine he will play. Uh, we'll get a look at the, how uh, things could work without Chad. Once again, it's a shame that this was his best preseason, and for more reports, he was absolutely flying. So this is a big disappointment. That he got injured again early in the season, and it is shaping as another waste of the season. He's out of contract at the end of the season, and I think with every passing week, the, the possibility that he won't beat the Hawks next uh, season grows. Uh, we see a very fine article from you that was incredibly well received about Jack Scrimshaw. So just want to give us a, for those who haven't read the article, give us a bit of a synopsis of what, what that is and uh, what you think happens from here. Yeah, thanks. I, I, I think that he's one of a handful of players, um, or not even a handful of players, there's, there's two or three who... Um, each week this year, the ho- the whole season through, we've just been scratching our heads, right? Has he been injured? What is the injury? Why is he playing as a sub if he's not injured? Um, getting dropped from the team. Uh, and uh, what's been really interesting since putting the article out there is just how much love there is for him. So he's 24. He doesn't turn 25 till I think, uh, actually, I can tell you, 4th of September, because I share a birthday with him. Um, so so he finishes the season as a 24-year-old, and even the, the article raised so many different theories, people saying he'll be on the... Um, he'll be on the trade block. He's our opportunity to get back in at a, a high level at the draft. Talking about falling out to Sam Mitchell. Talking about I'm getting DMs about um, concerns around the defensive aspect of his game. Which straight away, I mean, I just rebut with, well, if there's concerns over the defensive part of his game, don't play him as a sub and then play him in the forward line. Uh, but he clearly is in our top six in that defensive unit. And, yeah, I'm not sure your take, Ash, but he'd be in the top dozen players from an ability point of view to be picked the last two years from a disposals and marks point of view. He's been above average compared to everyone else in the competition. It It, it just it doesn't make sense because he clearly should be part of that next premiership puzzle. Does Hawthorne have one too many player like him? I mean, is he too similar to Sicily? And if you want to play two key talls and have Sicily feed up as your third, as your third rebound defender, which we all seem to agree is when Sicily's at his best. So you've got either two of blank uh, DGB and Frost as your key tall, as your key talls. Then you've got Sicily. Is Scrimshaw just squeezed out because they've got one too many of the same type of player? So, so I don't think so because, yes, he can take a mark. I think that is what separates him. Every time we were talking about the comparison of him as a footballer to Graham Birchall, I always said the difference is I think he's actually better in the air. But I don't think, and it'll be interesting to hear what Brad thinks, I don't think they're the group of players that you should be comparing him to. I think he's a true halfback flanker with great disposal. And the guys who should be comparing him to are Jarman Impey and CJ and even Lockie Bramble when we've been playing him off the back flank. And on that evidence, Impey's having an okay season, but on that evidence, he should still be a lock to be getting named on a, on a back flank, certainly over a, certainly over a CJ and Seamus Mitchell's, playing the role a little further uh, deeper defensively, but similar sort of role. But he's surely above all of them. Weddell as well. I I completely agree. Uh, He's not, uh, you know, in the same uh, mould as a Sicily type. It's, you would pick Jack Scrimshaw over CJ 
You pick Jack Scrimshaw over Weddle, who are both in the team at the moment. Seamus is a different type of player. Um, he's more of a smaller defender. But, yeah, there's definitely something that the club aren't telling us. Um, I know there's the comments and people think that he had turf toe or something like that, despite the fact he was the sub for two weeks straight. What if a player did that at Hammy in the first uh, two minutes of the game? He comes on and he plays a full game. Then he gets picked. Uh, he had, I think, 16 touches. He kicked a goal and he gets dropped. There were probably 12 to 15 players that deserved to get dropped in front of him the week he got dropped. So it's not an adding up. Um, and you'd think it's a worry. Like, you know, he's got every right to be, you know, uh, disgruntled and, and upset. Uh, DGB, to a lesser extent, in a similar boat because DGB can't even get in our squad at the moment, which is another story that I'm sure we'll touch on in the coming weeks. He's but, next in the series, Brad, for the exact same reason. Yeah. Um, so yeah, Scrimshaw's a tough one because I don't buy the fact that he's not fit because he's yet to be named in a, an injury uh, report. And Jack Scrimshaw's not the type of player a club's going to hide um, from the injury uh, report. I don't think uh, opposition clubs are looking at our injury report for Jack Scrimshaw's uh, name on it. So, yeah, there's definitely something not right there. All right. Uh, that was a good piece, Weezy. Commend it to you if you haven't read it. Now, the other bit of news out today is that, um, sadly, uh, Big Maximus uh, has uh, been put out to pass for the season. He's on the long-term injury list because of concussion, um, clearly having trouble overcoming it. It's desperately sad for him as a popular member of the club and somebody who'd really had earned his spot in the side before uh, getting the concussion again. I think it was gather round when we were there, we see it more oval. Um, so real shame for him. Uh, we're Hawthorne now down to three Ruckman. So we're again, uh, in that exercise of holding our breath a little bit to make sure that uh, nothing more happens to either of the two established big men and with Max Rams and now the only big man uh, in reserve. Of course, there's a transactional side to that um, is, is that uh, it probably now opens up two spots for Hawthorne at the uh, mid-season draft. Our list manager, we, if Brad's our match committee chairman, then um, Danny is our list manager. He is, uh, can't join us tonight. But he's going to explore this in an article that will drop on Hawks Insiders on the Substack tomorrow. So have a look at that. That's what that means, but obviously Hawthorne have a couple of decisions to make about if they've got two picks, do they sort of go for a need with their first pick? And they'll probably have the top two or three. They'll have a pick in the top two or three in the mid-season draft. And you tend to get who you want in the mid-season draft. So do they go for a... Uh, do they go for, they go for need with the first pick and then go for best available with what's left? Or do they try and target two? Last year, they managed to get exactly what they wanted, being a key defender and, and the backup ruck. And they did spectacularly well at the mid-season draft last year, as they did the year before in... Picking up John, you can just a quick question to you, Weesey. What would you be doing if you for the first pick? What just give me one position? I'll ask each of you, three of you one position they should try and fill with the first pick. Uh, well, I mean, our forward line's an issue, so if there's a key forward uh kicking goals somewhere that is available, and, and I'm not through across it, but I will be reading Prinzi's article tomorrow. Clearly, uh, a big body forward type is something that we're after. Brad? Key forward. Mara? Yeah, I suspect Prinzi has cast his eye over the key forward stocks. Yeah, I think that's probably it. what everyone's saying. Get, get a key forward in there and see, give them a few weeks to show what they can do. His article will be there tomorrow, and I think on next week's basis, we hopefully have a bit more time to, to look at that up with, uh, I think, the mid-season draft be soon after that. So I think next week might be our mid-season draft preview edition of the Spaces. Let's uh, walk the news out of the hall. Cam McKenzie, two-year deal. No real surprise that he's going to re-sign. Uh, he's shown enough so far to indicate that he's going to be a long-term player for the football club. He just looks like he's he's got it um, and very comfortable at the club, very comfortable I can find a role for him in the side. What was your thoughts when you saw that, uh, Weesey? Uh, yeah, I think that was just uh, a matter of time, really. It does, uh, I, I hate to harp back on it, but we know that Harry Sheasel signed uh, a few weeks back an extra couple of years extension. It's just in, an interesting um, 
it's an interesting consideration in terms of the marketplace at the moment where they've got no issues or hesitation signing versus the potential theory of, well, there's no hurry, right? Why not wait till sort of closer towards the end of the year and get some games under your belt and, uh, but smarter people than me organize these sorts of affairs. So, um, yeah, good result, obviously part of, uh, part of, that next premiership. No one's smarter than you. Was you just equally as smart? Uh, <laughs> the fourth travel to uh, their second home, their home away from home, uh, Sunday afternoon, one ten to play West Coast. Don't worry about watching Carlton Collingwood. Uh, this is a game to watch on Sunday afternoon as the Hawks and Eagles stumble around uh, in front of what will be probably a two-thirds empty Utah Stadium. Um, Hawthorne have added Ned Reeves, uh, Chancroft GF injured, and Chad Wingate injured as well out of the side that lost to Melbourne into the squad to be finalised at 5pm tomorrow. Ned Reeves, Tyler Brockman, Connor McDonald, Fergus Green, Jack Scrimshaw. The interchange is from Reeves, Morrison, Weddle, Green, McDonald, Brockman, Scrimshaw, Bramble. Brad, this is your account. Who will be the lucky four plus the uh, tactical sub? Uh, I think the final four will be uh, Reeves. Sam said he was fit, so I think um, Reeves will come in. Brockman will come in. Uh, Weddle will be there. And then uh, there's one spot left for five players. I hope Connor McDonald comes in. It's probably between uh, Jack Scrimshaw or Connor McDonald. Obviously, CJ goes out, so it's uh, whether they bring Scrimshaw in. Lockie Bramble was actually pretty good as the sub. He had 14 touches. Um, Harry Morrison, I think, is going to get dropped. Um, he's named on the bench. He usually starts on the field. So I think Harry's going to be uh, dropped. Um, but I think they'll go with um, Connor McDonald. So I'm going to go with Reeves, Brockman, Weddle, and Connor McDonald. And I think one of Bramble or Scrimshaw will be the sub, probably Bramble. Um, like I said before, this is a game that we have to win and we have to win well. It's not going to be a pretty game to watch. Tassie games are... Never are, and um, these are the two um, of the three worst teams in the league. So I think we'll win. I think we'll probably win. We should win this game by um, five or six goals. Um, probably be quite a low-scoring game, but if we kick uh, 70 points, we probably win. 14 degrees and sunny in Launceston and Sunday, which seems to be the weather every time Hawthorne plays down there. It's never, for all the talk about the weather in Tassie, it's, never, it's rarely a bad day down there. So it'll be uh, crisp but fine. Good football weather, you hope. Uh, what are you hoping to see on, on Sunday, uh, Uh A win. <laughs> uh, definitely, you know, the opportunity to bank four points and just get a little bit of um, uh, just some of the good feels and reward for effort. Uh, I want to see us... I'd love to see us kick more than the 70 points Brad just mentioned because if there's a team that we should be able to convert a centre domination into scoring shots, this would be it. So if our midfield are doing what they've been doing over the last four, five, six weeks, then we should see so much of it in our forward line. Um, So hopefully, you know, I want to see us kick Triple digits and and maybe the likes of a a Mitch grabbing a grabbing a bag. Couple of comments from uh, our great friends out there. We thank you all for your comments before we finish up. Patrick Cohen Ashbrown, aren't we building it up as a Harley Red Cup? No, we are not. Ben, with so many Sunday games, club can make a positive out of it by making a bunch of Saturday open trading sessions accessible to the kids and to get them involved. Excellent suggestion, Ben. And uh, let's hope the club I do listen. So if you're listening, club, please do that. Uh, ben also said, Will Day's been the standout, but giant Newcombe poll coaches votes four out of the last five games. That may well be true, but the coaches don't choose the All-Australian team. It's cho- chosen by a bunch of uh, journos in a room, basically, who just uh, who don't uh, get out much enough footy, in my humble opinion. Megan, why can't DGB get a game? Here's my thought bubble. I don't think we'll finish 18th. If West Coast finish 18th, it is possible that we're going to offer our first pick two or three, and DGB for West Coast pick one. Uh, interesting thought bubble, Megan. I think we'll take more than that, but uh, I think Hawthorne will be very proactive at the end of the season. Certainly, Harley Reid did not seem to indicate 
uh, we see in a couple of interview in an interview did with AFL website didn't, didn't seem to give a glowing endorsement about one three like outside of the country. He made it as clear as possible <laughs> without actually saying it, didn't he? Um, yeah, uh, it's really interesting because uh, we, we've talked about this over the over the course of the season already. And personally, I go if we finished on the bottom and had pick one, if we're able to get two picks inside five for that and another inside ten. I think we'd be crazy not to do it with the stage that we're at, regardless of the raps on him. So um, if he's saying that, I think West Coast will absolutely be considering it. Um, and then it'll just be a case of who can come up with the best offer. I saw someone posit on social media. I think it was actually, fairness, it was a question posed to the Hawk Talk pod guys. Um, if Hawthorne doesn't finish bottom, would you package up the second pick somehow? get four and six and still keep rights to uh, Will McCabe, in which case you get re- effectively three first-round picks into the club next year, which is interesting as well, the Hawks. We're going to look at Will McCabe in detail. Danny, that's homework for Danny because he is rising up the charts very quickly and uh, what was safely thought to be a second-round pick might now be a first-round pick. So the club has to make sure it does it is in a position to uh, get Will McCabe in and still I'll protect whatever the first, you know, the pick in the first three that we expect to have. Mick, a couple of points. Uh, if you read Kane Corn's article, there'll be a mass exodus from North Vic in the next year. If Clarko doesn't come back as coach, that could well be the case. Against the better teams, our kick-ins are horrendous in terms of getting out of the defensive 50. Yes, it's comedy hours sometimes trying to watch comedy capers watching Hawthorne try to kick out, a bit like the Benny Hill show. Also, Saturday, 4.35 p.m., second worst spot for attendance numbers. That is probably true. And um, Patrick will be interested in looking into the future. Does the taxi deal get extended, mean that the two years get added on, or could that fall over if the stadium also falls over? All interesting points. Tassie could just, if the stadium falls, if the team falls over, Tassie could take its bat and ball and go home, and then Hawthorne would be in a world of pain. Um, obsessive compulsive, surely not suggesting the AFL treats clubs equitably uh, as long as some clubs are on the AFL teat, or as long as several clubs on the AFL teat, then no, they don't all get treated equitably. Um, yeah, uh, and Jamie talking about Jordan Lewis, and Brett made the point before, didn't sound particularly impressed. Um, all right, that has been the spaces for this week. I said I'd do it an hour, I got to an hour and two. I think that's a pretty good effort. A bit of a little bit of housekeeping before we finish up is that uh, don't look out for Danny's mid-season draft uh, piece going up tomorrow. Um, and we also have another podcast going up. You can catch this as a, you can revisit this podcast, these spaces tomorrow as a podcast. We're also repackaging some of the Golden Years podcasts we did back in sort of 2019 and 2020. Uh, we're tying up with forthcoming opponents. So if you haven't listened on Saturday morning, you'll find current Hawthorne president Andy Gowers talking about the 1991 qualifying final win against West Coast in Perth. That was a cracking game of football. And he talked about it beautifully on that podcast. So we commend those to you as well for a bit of Hawthorne listening to get you into the mood for the weekend. We will have a spaces. Oh, sorry, we will have a match review podcast, probably recording Sunday night for Monday morning. Wes, is that right? Yep, spot on. I shan't be part of it, but I'm looking forward to you guys breaking it down in the very best detail. And more content coming in the next little while. Still hoping to get a couple of people from the club on to talk to us as well for podcasts or other matters as well. So we will keep that happening. Brad, thank you for your sterling efforts tonight. Thanks all. Go Hawks. Go Hawks tomorrow. Always good to have you on board. Good to see you've got your Twitter working so you can contribute now. You were mute there for a while, so it's always better having you around. So thank you. It's always good when you don't do anything, but it fixes itself. Lovely. Maybe just the software upgrade worked. Weezy, thanks for steering the ship tonight. Did a sterling job, as always. Um, any last words? No, and thank you, thanks to you, Ash. Uh, good to be I back. Think, as I said, it, good to be back at the start. Good to have you back steering some of the. Uh, deeper level stuff we've, we're unfortunately going to have to yeah. continue to talk about. Unfortunately, I can't make these every Thursday anymore, but uh, I'm endeavouring to get to every single one that I can. 
Don't forget your support of Hawks Insiders. Five dollars a month, fifty dollars a year for the very, very best Hawthorne content online that there is. Enjoy the weekend. Let's hope Sunday brings a bit of joy for the Hawthorne faithful with a win over West Coast. God help us all if I don't win. As I've suggested to a few people, it might be time to shut down your social media and uh, switch off all TV and radio because it ain't going to be pleasant. Um, enjoy everything. Thanks for your support tonight. Thanks for the great comments and feedback as well. Great to make this as wide-ranging a conversation as possible. And we look forward to doing it all again same time next week. Thank you and good night. Thanks so much for listening to Hawks Insiders. Head to our Substack for more quality analysis, special features, news, interviews and so much more.